Hey, it's September. Hard to believe it's the first week in September, at least the first week where we have an episode in September 2023. And hopefully you've enjoyed your summer off. Some of you have been off for at least five or six weeks, perhaps longer, some shorter. And now it's time to get back into the swing of things. And typically I find that September is the time when the the training or business year begins for me because it's the time when after summer people are anxious to roll out programs, coaching, training, facilitation, consulting, and that then continues up until Christmas time or December, over which there is a lull or quiet period, and then things kick off in January until May or June. Now, maybe you're like me and you've worked part of the summer. I've worked in August this year for two weeks. I was in the States, um, in Pasadena, in New Jersey, in Austin, and then in Atlanta, unintentionally at the end. And that was quite the experience. And I love working in the States. And um, I got to combine really uh, two weeks away, but also uh, working, doing the stuff that I love to do. And maybe that's true for you. Perhaps you had some time to work on projects over the summer. And perhaps you had some time to think about um, reinvigorating your business, reimagining your business, restructuring your business, perhaps thinking about the kinds of work you do and the kinds of people for whom you do it. Which brings me to my key point today, which is maybe it's time to spring clean and let go to grow, let go of some kinds of clients because it's just not worth working with them. And that might seem strange given that this is called the Training Business Podcast, but I want you to focus on not just doing the work that you love to do, but making it profitable and productive for you. And this is why this episode today is really, really useful. As I said, this is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Welcome to the show. This is the weekly show for people like you and me, trainers, coaches, consultants, people who are self-employed. Perhaps you've got your own training business with one or two people in it. Perhaps you work with associates. Perhaps it's just you. I'm a self-employed trainer. I work with other trainers and coaches, and I also contract other coaches and trainers to run my programs. I'm a published author, and I've only been able to say that since last year, and I'm still learning. And this is really why the show exists, to share the insights from wonderful trainers, coaches, authors, experts every single Thursday. And for that reason, I'd love you to click on follow or subscribe right now to be notified of great episodes as they come out. It takes absolutely only a couple of seconds and costs nothing. And this week, as I said before the music, we're going to focus on some spring cleaning, which I think is quite useful at this time of year. And for that reason, we're going to look at five kinds of clients who sometimes present their own unique sets of challenges and also require from you some kinds of ways to overcome those problems. What do I mean? Well, there are people who are procrastinators who miss deadlines. There are people who are penny pinchers or budget pinchers who question your fees. There are clients who are late payers. They test your financial patience. 
There are people who are mood drainers. They just sap your energy and enthusiasm. And maybe there are people who simply cannot commit to things. And all of those are problems. And that's why we're going to look at those and corresponding solutions in this week's episode. Let's look at the first one, which are procrastinators. These are people who are consistently not saying yes or saying no. They sit on the fence. They miss deadlines, don't come back to you when they say they will. And when you're juggling multiple projects, delays from these kinds of people can throw off your entire schedule. Now, maybe there are good reasons why people procrastinate. Perhaps it's because they haven't really got the authority to sign things off, to approve things, uh, to make things happen. And so perhaps that's an interesting thing to think about. Are you talking to the right people with the right level of authority to give you the green light? Timing is crucial in what we do, what you and I do as consultants and trainers and coaches and facilitators, because time is money. Time means that if we're not working on things, we can charge for things, and that has a financial implication. So if you're contracting to develop workshops and waiting for client feedback to finalize materials or guidance on that material, this has an effect on you and, of course, on your projects for other clients. So here are three ideas. First of all, one, perhaps think about deadline-driven contracts. Break down your deliverables into mini-steps, each of which may include penalties or something else that keeps both parties accountable. Number two, schedule updates. At the time of mapping out your scope of work or your statement of work, SOW or SOW, schedule in check-ins to review progress, which acts as both a reminder and incentivization to people to remind them of what needs to be done before the next thing can be done. And thirdly, time allocation. Make it clear how long delays will affect the overall project. And this is why, of course, Gantt charts can be very helpful because it shows that when something is moved, it has a knock-on effect. There are consequences to every delay. The key point is that if you're dealing with people who delay, 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 it's crucial to tackle this really, really quickly because otherwise they will behave the exact same way in the next project or the next step in the current project. You have to be upfront about how you work, what you expect, and so you take control and safeguard your projects against these kinds of delays from these kinds of people. Now, if you still have a situation where someone is procrastinating, um, you really have to think about what you're going to do and whether you want to continue working with these kinds of people. I often do, but sometimes I regret not tackling this early and head on. The second kind of people that I like to spring clean are people who just keep chasing or, or pushing money down. They keep tackling or questioning every single uh, element and want to really pare something down, remove the value because they're so focused on cost and money, they don't see the value that this project, your project, delivers for them. So whether you're a consultant involved in learning and development or a coach, you are offering a high-value service which requires specialized skills and time. But when people question that, they're actually questioning your knowledge. And that's really what it boils down to, to me. And this sometimes undercuts your sense of self-worth, which to my mind is more damaging than any effect on my business or bank account. 
if people make me feel that what I'm offering them is, you know, unvaluable or not valuable or not worth what I'm charging, that of course is going to affect your sense of self-worth. And it has for me. And I've learned to be clever with pricing because I don't just want to lose money. I also don't want to lose my confidence in what I sell. When people continuously question your pricing, it can erode your confidence and also disrupt your vision for your business because you really begin to doubt what you do and for whom you do it and if people find value in it. So I would really be cautious about working with people who are consistently questioning the price of everything or trying to reduce the price of everything because not only will that cost you financially, it will also cost you, I think, professionally. Imagine you're a a training consultant, you've put together a comprehensive employee development program, but your client keeps asking for discounts, more content, extras, or says, can we take away this? Can we remove this? Uh, Because the price is too high. So three ideas here. One, value demonstration. Start to outline the value that you bring to the table. And this is where I use client testimonials uh, effectively. I show that other people have no problem paying this kind of money for this kind of value. And so that contrast makes it harder for someone to say no to what I'm suggesting. Number two, transparent pricing. Make sure that your pricing structure is clear and transparent from the beginning. This minimizes haggling down the line. We all will get negotiation. That's part and parcel of what we do as consultants and expert, you know, expertise providers. But you want to minimize reasons for people to question pricing. So making it clear up front what things will cost and why they cost what they cost will help. And thirdly, in terms of reducing friction from people who penny pinch, stick to your guns. Be willing to say no and stand by the value of your work. If the client is unwilling to pay for your work, it might be time to walk away. It might be time to let them go. Because if you have people like this who always pare down what you do, strip it down to the elements that really don't deliver value, then you have to question the effect of this on you and your brand. And I find that often these are the people I will say no to quickly because it's just too much energy consistently haggling price with everyone when you are demonstrably delivering value to people in their situation, their industry, and in their business. So if you're dealing with penny pinchers, budget pinchers, squeezers, remember that you have expertise. It's worth things to people. It's worth a lot of money to people. Be transparent, demonstrate value, and stick up for your pricing. Number three today are late payers. We all have these people. Sometimes late paying is justified because, well, there's a chunk of money you're waiting to come in and the thing that you promised other people can't be delivered because you're just in the red. And that's happened to me on occasion. And it's often hard and uncomfortable to explain this to people who keep screaming at you and saying, you know, where's this or where's that? But it's it's the true thing or it's the truth for you as well, when people um, don't pay you on time, uh, that can be a problem. And um, it's a two-way street. So we have to be people who pay people on time. Sometimes there are pretty good reasons why we don't pay people on time. But sometimes it's just to do with efficiencies 
and, uh, and so on. So a problematic type for anyone in consulting and training has got to be uh, late payers. And as I said, sometimes there are reasons why that happens, but we need money to keep flowing and keep going. And when clients don't pay on time, it doesn't just hamper your cash flow. It also consumes more time sending reminders and follow-up emails, especially in the field of what we do, where we've got to take our eye off our work to get into administration mode and send out reminders. Now, thankfully, I've got software like Xero, which I use to send out automatic invoices and automatic reminders. Maybe you don't, but it's something to think about. Again, that's where AI helps because lots of software these days sends out um, automatic reminders and advice when people haven't paid on time. Imagine if you're a consultant, you've delivered some work and the 30-day payment becomes 60 days and 90 days. I'm actually okay with 60 days, to be honest. A lot of people are not. Um, if you've agreed 30 days, that's one thing. But you will have occasionally people who pay you on the money, on the day of the invoice. That's actually unusual, but you will find that happens. But you don't really want 90 days or 120 days. And that does happen when you're dealing with particular kinds of organizations who simply have that policy in place, large corporates, because the kinds of vendors or suppliers they're used to paying are comfortable with that kind of time frame. Maybe you're not, I don't know. So think about the kinds of people who are late payers and um, whether you want to keep on working with them. So three things here, three possible solutions. One, automatic reminders. I've mentioned that. Invoicing software like Xero sends out automated payment reminders to clients, which, keep, which keeps the pressure on them to, to pay you. Now, sometimes the software doesn't work. Um, sometimes it sends out too many reminders. And I've had people say to me, could you please stop sending me reminders? I've paid you. It does happen. Um, the third thing or the second thing would be upfront agreements. This is where you require payment at particular points, say 30% uh, or 33% at this point, 33% at this point, and 33 at the final point. Or in terms of a recent contract, I think it was, um, was it 30, 30, and 40? I think that was it. And that structure is clear in advance. In fact, if you can go further and put dates against those amounts when they should come in, 30% on this date, 30% on this date, and 40% on this date, and so on. And then going further, you could also insist upon late fees in your contract. Maybe you want to include some paragraph on late fees or a late fee structure as part of your initial agreement, which could be something like um, uh, five days, after which on the sixth day, um, there is a $25 euro pound charge per day plus 1% of that delayed uh, fee or that delayed stage payment. And this can actually work. Again, not everyone likes this. Procurement often don't like that in any contract. In my experience, they push back against any punitive clauses which punish them or people for not paying on time. And it's really hard to counter that because often you are a small provider and they're a large corporate client. 
So, but, but they are three possible things. Upfront agreements, automatic reminders, and late fees agreed before the work starts. The next kind of person that comes to mind are mood drainers. These are people who literally just make life difficult. Now, I love what I do. I really, really love what I do in coaching and training. And there are times when I think, hey, you know what? I do this for free. Of course, I can't. But I love it so much. And there are days when I'm thinking, I cannot believe I'm privileged to work as a coach, as a trainer. I'm paid to travel. I get to meet amazing people work with fantastic companies, and I really, really love what I do. But of course, there are people who sometimes take the fun out of what you do. And these are people who just don't want to, I don't know, cooperate maybe. They sap your enthusiasm. If you're a fan of Harry Potter, you might remember the Dementors. Dementors are, pe are like soul-sucking entities. These are people who somehow manage to remove the fun from things, the joy from things. And I don't really need that. I like working with people who are passionate and imaginative and constructive, but not always possible. Negativity can really take the wind out of your sails. A negative client consumes a disproportionate amount of your time and emotional bandwidth. And this, I think, makes it difficult sometimes to enjoy your work. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why that's the case. Maybe someone is just not enjoying their job, and so they make your job difficult. But if someone's always, you know, nitpicking or criticizing everything you do without saying thank you for what you do, that can be exhausting and debilitating. And I can think of someone quite recently who was like that. And no matter what I did, it never was good enough. And that person always just kind of put me down. Not sure why, Maybe it's to do with their own self-respect or lack of it, but uh, that's what I found. And so if you're facilitating workshops, producing, you know, really quality stuff, it's okay to expect some kind of critique, but unhelpful personal criticism isn't constructive and often it's destructive because it sows doubt in your mind. It makes you doubt what you do and maybe distracts you from what you love to do and you need to be your best at doing. And I've had that too, when people just seem to drain my confidence and I don't enjoy working with them and even the client. And I'm thinking of a client, or rather an indirect client actually three years ago. And for some reason, this person prided themselves on finding fault in everything that the training provider I was doing work with did for them. Maybe it was their badge of honor. Maybe they just felt that the way to be a boss is to boss and to criticize. And that means, you know, annoying people or nitpicking at people. I don't think you and I need those kinds of people because that takes away again from the enjoyment of what we do. So there are three things here. One is direct communication. If someone is criticizing you and not the work you do, it might be time to say this up front. If someone is unreasonably negative, it might be worth having a direct conversation about the impact of their attitude. Now, if something is uh, fair and reasonable, fine, but often or sometimes it's not. We all have had people who seem to make things personal and not business. So that's the second thing. You have to establish emotional boundaries. Don't let your client's mood dictate your mood. Learn to compartmentalize and separate your emotions from your client's lack of emotional intelligence or lack of control. 
It's hard not to take criticism personally. I've even worked alongside people and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I don't need this. I enjoy what I do. Why am I letting someone take the, take the fun out of what I do? And so, again, don't let your client's mood dictate your own. Try to put them in a bubble. And when you leave work or close your laptop for the day, try to leave them and your feeling about them in that laptop. Try not to let that find its way into your personal life. And the third thing I would do is to reassess engagement. Again, maybe you should let go of these people to grow other people as clients. Because when a client's behavior begins to significantly impact your work quality, your mental health, it should be time to reevaluate whether continuing this relationship is actually in your best interest. Often it's not. Okay, so the key point here is that dealing with these dementors or mood drainers can really be mentally taxing. You have the tools in you. You've got the confidence and self-respect to say, this is an emotional boundary. I will not allow myself to be spoken to harshly or in a personal way, which detracts from my own self-worth. And it might therefore be time to get some coaching on how to have this kind of uh, direct, honest conversation if you don't feel comfortable having that uh, as things stand. And it's funny how even as trainers, sometimes we need training to do something that we take for granted. So even if you deliver resilience training or some kind of confidence training, that's not to say that you don't need that training for yourself. And I know that when I've read a course or, or done some kind of reading, um, it reminds me of the power which exists in training from other people, which will help me to do what I do and deal with my clients, good ones and bad ones. So we're all learning. We're all learning from each other. This is why the podcast exists. And sometimes we'll hear something, we'll go, I know that, or I should know that. It's time to remember it and to use it. The last thing today are people who are just, you know, never, ever really helpful. And what that means is that they're just not going to be the kinds of people who recommend you, refer you, introduce you to other people. Part of what I do, and the reason I do what I do, is because I'm proud of what I do and what I've achieved for clients. What I really want is to use a project as a stepping stone to another project, and so I would say to you that you should be working with clients not just to get money from them, but to get recommendations from them, to develop long-term engagements with people and develop then a portfolio of high-paying, high-value clients based upon the success of work done for previous clients. If you don't get that willingness to have someone refer you, recommend you, um, you have to question what's the point. Now, if you're in this for the money only, then that's fine. I'm not. What I believe is that every piece of quality work I should or I do should be an introduction or a stepping stone to another project. So in the back of my mind, I'm all the time focusing on the work I'm doing, but being conscious of the need to use it as a doorway to another client. Perhaps this client can recommend me to one of their contacts within the business or outside of the business. But if I'm working with people who aren't willing to do that, I don't really want to work with them after the current project because business development 
is hard. Running a business is really hard. And so what we need are people who are willing, without much persuasion, to help you to market yourself to other people. And when you do that, then business development becomes far, far easier. You spend less money on ads and marketing, and you spend more time capturing value in the form of case studies and testimonials, which act as magnets for your next client. And it's funny how high-paying clients seem to naturally attract other high-paying clients. It's unusual in my experience for a high-paying client to attract a low-paying client. kind of makes sense if you think about it that way. So if you are working with difficult clients who won't introduce you, open the doorway to other clients, I try and not work with that client beyond that point. Because I think that if I've earned praise, if I've earned the right to say, I've delivered something for you, I've kept my promises, I've helped you increase this, decrease this, remove this, implement this, then my clients should be willing to set me up for success with the next client through a referral, a recommendation, a testimonial, a video, a case study. And if they're not willing to do that, then I don't really want to work with them. It's so much work attracting new clients. We all need help in that regard. And I'm proud to say that one of the programs I've delivered recently has converted into testimonials. I mean, really wonderful ones. Um, I have some clients this week who've agreed to film videos with videographers I'm hiring. And this has worked at the beginning of the year. It's about to work gangbusters again in September because I know what they're going to say. I'm really pleased on what they've said so far. And that kind of testimonial referral case study will naturally attract other high-paying clients. And I feel great when I know that someone's been helped. I feel even better when someone is willing to share that story with other people, because everyone in business needs business. Everyone chasing clients needs clients. And it needs to be less work. We haven't got time to do all our own marketing ourselves. We need help. We need assistance. We need people who are willing to support us, recommend us, and refer us. So it's important that you don't do things in a way that make people question your value. So a couple of things here. First of all, make it clear that you will ask for a referral or a recommendation. Secondly, ask people what the outcome of your program would be that would make them want to do this without much persuasion. What would make them feel they want to tell other people about you, they want to introduce you. And thirdly, set opportunities up to test their commitment to do this. So halfway through the program, ask for a quote. Uh, three quarters of the way through the program, put a date in the calendar to film that video or get them to work with you on a case study. I find that when I leave that till the end and the program's over, trying to get people to commit to doing it then is a lot more work than if I had asked people before or during the project. So timing is everything. If you're not scheduling that or asking for that continuous, continuously or reminding people that you will ask for that at some point, uh, you can't be surprised when that doesn't become a priority for them. And if you've left it in the past to after the program, you'll know what I mean. You end up chasing people to do things which they would have done if you'd just asked them before or during 
the program. So that's it. They're my thoughts on five kinds of clients that you want to perhaps spring clean. Those who won't refer you, recommend you, introduce you, or say nice things about you to other people. Next, mood drainers, people who seem to sap your enthusiasm and joy in the work the wonderful work that we get to do as trainers, coaches, facilitators, consultants. Next, the people who don't pay on time. There sometimes are reasons why people don't pay on time. You know, we've all had delays in cash flow, but sometimes it just becomes a pain to deal with. Next would be people who are questioning pricing and costs and always seem to pare down your programs to a point where they remove value from it. And lastly, and not least, people who simply miss deadlines and suck up all your time because you keep on chasing them. And again, that becomes a real um, energy suck. So five kinds of clients you might want to think about spring cleaning. Um, It's up to you. I know that I've let go of some people in terms of clients in the past. Hasn't always been possible. Sometimes you've got to wait till you've got someone to replace them with. But you have to ask yourself about the cost of these kinds of people and working with these kinds of people and putting up with these kinds of people. You have to recognize that there are different challenging types of clients you will encounter in consulting, training and development and coaching. Each of these represents a unique challenge, but also opportunities for learning as you become or improve as a business owner. Your time, expertise, your energy are valuable commodities. So don't let people take them away, drag you down, and always take steps to protect them. That's it for this week's episode of the Training Business Podcast. Keep those emails coming, mark at trainingbusiness.com. I'd love to hear from you with suggestions uh, for the kinds of guests that you'd like to hear on the show. And if you've got some questions, again, mark at trainingbusiness.com. There is a fresh episode next Thursday. Until then, keep going. Speak to you soon. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.